0: Welcome to This Complex Life, a podcast where we explore the intricacies of well-being and relationships. I'm your host, Marie Vakakis, an accredited mental health social worker, family therapist, speaker, and mental health educator. Coming to you from the lands of the Bunurong and Wurundjeri people, join me as we demystify mental health, break down stigma, and navigate life's messiness and complexities one conversation at a time. And just a little reminder. Information in this podcast is for educational purposes only. Anything said should not be taken as a replacement for medical, clinical or other professional advice, diagnosis or treatment. This podcast is not a substitute for professional mental health treatment and advice. If you or someone you know requires support, please contact a mental health professional in your area. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to This Complex Life. Today I have with me Jenny Brown. And I first came across Jenny in my family therapy studies. Uh, she wrote a brilliant article called, We don't need your help, but can you please fix our children? And I was hooked. And so I've been an avid consumer of Jenny's books and content, and I'm so excited to have her on the podcast. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you, Marie. Great to be here. Can you share a little bit about what you're doing and how this kind of this project, the Parent Hope Project, came about?
1: Well, the Parent Hope Project kind of links to the article you just quoted, the, we don't need your help, but will you please fix our children? And that was back in 2008. And it resonated for so many clinicians of parents who really wanted the best help for their struggling child, but were also not expecting to be involved in the therapy. And as you know well, from a family systems perspective, The parent is such an important part of the process and the environment of the child. So my family therapy work has been broad over the decades, but just the way experiences have led me into supervising CAMS and KIMS teams and clinicians struggling to engage and know how to involve parents and then doctoral research in looking at parents' experience of their child's treatment has led me to putting a lot of my current energy into a clinical program that helps therapists engage parents effectively as an intervention for their young person. Yeah, so parents listening might be listening to that
0: and still thinking these are all things I don't understand, I don't know what this means. How do we simplify it to... Maybe an example of how that might present in a a therapy space. A young person's brought in, parents make an appointment, they bring a young person in. How does that different lens shape
1: what a therapist might do next or what they would consider? It's interesting speaking to both the therapist who wants to respectfully engage parents and the parent who is wanting to find the best help for their child. And the last thing a parent wants is to have more guilt loaded onto their shoulders. I know from my work with parents how much they have experienced judgment and subtle ways of therapists and services conveying what they experience as blame. So it's a tightrope I'm walking with parents, but I believe it is the best path for them. And the tightrope is helping them to see their part in the child being stuck in their symptoms so they can change that part and make a difference. And every parent wants to make a difference. But I want to do that without parents feeling punished in any way because they want the best for their kids. And it's so difficult managing anxious kids that react in some really provocative ways for parents, either provocative in their helplessness or provocative in their defiance. So I think having an approach that helps parents, the key thing that clinicians work on is working with parents to trace the interaction in family therapy, that would be called a sequence to trace the back and forth between the parent and their struggling child, to ask curious questions about the interaction, what's helping, what's not helping, and add some new questions for the parent to get some ideas of, wow, there are some things in my control I can change, at rather than all of my efforts going into trying to change my child, which often can make things worse. Not intended, but it can make things worse.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really confronting thing for some parents to realize that they're, and, and it's not just parents, right? We see this in a couple dynamic that sometimes the way you go about getting a need met pushes that further and further away. And sometimes I think, I tell parents, it's almost like you've got to, think of like a tortoise, and if it's pulled its head in its shell you're like, you literally have your hands around the shell, you stuck your head in there saying, talk to me, talk to me, what's happening? And they're like trying to retreat. And the more they retreat, the more you insert yourself and then neither of you gets your need met. So for parents listening, and let's say they've got children or or young people in therapy or they've got a, a behaviour that they find difficult to navigate, what can they start to do? What's well, like that first level of self-awareness or
1: Observation? Where can they start? Well, they need a safe place to explore this. So it needs a therapeutic space where they know that they are respected, listened to well, not judged and blamed. And clinicians often have seen the young person first. So they can get into what in family therapy would call a triangle where they're aligned with the young person and wanting to try and tell the parent how to change to better respond to the young person. And that's not helpful. So I would say the most important thing is a therapist who can be with on the side of everyone in the family. Everyone's trying to do their best. And the young person gives parents so many mixed messages. They are saying a child or a young person conveying in their own struggle get away from me, give me space, and then in other ways, they're presenting as so helpless and needy, which invites the parent to rescue. So first of all, just an empathy for how the confused messages are always there for parents and then unpack what's actually going on in the unique situation of that parent's Family, every family, there are common patterns, which I love about family systems theory, discovering the common patterns, but there's a uniqueness also about every family. So it's just helping, the doing research together, not complicated jargon full research, but just everyday language. Let's look in detail about the patterns that keep repeating and think together about how You can change what's in your control, which in Bowen theory is called the I position. I can change me. I can have my principle for the kind of parent I want to be, no matter how my child is, just how I'm going to operate from my principle and what I can choose rather than trying to change the mood or mind of the child. I love
0: that. That's so so beautifully articulated and that going with that empathy and compassion. How might a parent navigate? So one of the things I see is they want to spend time with their teenagers. That's sort of the area that I work with. So a lot of these are around teenagers at a time when teenagers want to hang out with their friends. And one of the techniques that I see not tend to be successful is saying something like, oh, well, it's about time that you're spending some time with us or Oh, it's so nice of you to grace us with your presence. When they want connection, but saying it like that—I mean, you can see both our faces. Good examples. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, we can all fall into it, can't we? It when we are when someone really important to us feels like they're not accessible, whether that be a partner, a friend an extended family member and in this case an adolescent it's really hard not to go into a you position and and that sarcasm you described Mm. marie of well it's about time that's without a parent realizing it it is a disguised form of attack when we use that kind of sarcasm it comes from a very real Place of kind of grieving the loss of connection, mm. and so that's where thinking about the the parent eye position. How can I convey to the other what's going on for me, what I'm struggling with, what I'm thinking, and what I, and then to invite the young person to say, "What are your ideas?" It's important to me to find a way to be connected that respects that you are at a place where your peers are appropriately becoming more important. But I'm not going to just give up on you, but I know the way I'm going about it isn't helping. I can see that. Any ideas? But yet, can you get that gist of moving away from you should, why don't you, you need to be at more family dinners, you need to be more respectful? It just pushes people away whenever we're on the receiving end. Rather than, here's what I'm committed to as your parent. Here's how I want to be a resource to you and I want to respect your growing independence. I have a few ideas. I'd love your thoughts on them. That's coming from the Mm I rather than that anxious you, you, you. Are you
0: a parent of a teenager? Are you feeling overwhelmed and unsure how to navigate the challenges and the changes that come with parenting a teenager? I have seen firsthand how difficult this can be for teenagers and their parents. For parents, it's not just about knowing what's important and knowing how to navigate these teenage years, it's understanding how to put that knowledge into practice. And I'm here to help you bridge that gap. I want to share with you a little bit about my connected teens program. You will learn about adolescent development, why connection is crucial for good mental health, and I will give you practical, tangible ways to improve your connection with your teen. I've seen the disconnection that can arise as children move into adolescence. I want to give you some of the tools and insights that you can use to strengthen your relationship. Tickets are on sale now. There is a link in the show notes. I hope to see you there. Places are limited. Remember, it's never too late to improve your relationship. Check out the website for more information or visit the show notes. So when I when I hear something like that, I encourage parents, because if you said it like that, the teenager would roll their eyes and think, stop therapizing me. What have you been listening to? This is nuts. Uh, okay. But if you <laughs> said something like, hey, I miss you, I want to hang out, what's one thing we can do once a week or once a fortnight? And you either give a time restriction, like, you know, just an hour or that cost less than 50 bucks, whatever your, rest- and then say, what are your ideas? In, in our family, we value connection. I know that we now have different hobbies. I still want to spend time with you. What's an activity that you think we can do together? How would that be different in your opinion to the, well, thank you for grazing up, dressing up with your presence. It's nice that you finally decided <sighs> to join. Yeah,
1: I love that you're corrected to everyday language, Marie. Us therapists have to watch that. So (laughs) I appreciate that. That's really good. And I would never give parents, I would never say, this is what you should do. Because if it doesn't come from who they are as a person and the way they express themselves, a child won't see it as authentic. They will see it as, oh, you've been told to do that or you've read it in a book. So the key is... Just the parents shifting their energy direction from trying to change the child, push the child, to how could I represent me as I am? And I think your example is a lovely one of that, that connection is a value that's important to me and our family. I, I love the way you put that, where I would say to parents, just find a way to say what's important to you in your own words rather than try and tell the child what they should think and do. Do you notice, and we had a chat about this on your
0: podcast, about that move mm-hmm. from manager to consultant, but as parents move from the child, like the primary school age kids where it might be more explicit you're doing this, and then move to adolescence, how would you encourage parents to use this same idea of, of, of what I can do different in how, what skills it teaches their child? Because if you're communicating in that maybe passive-aggressive way or that sarcasm, you're teaching them that's how to get a need met or that that's kind of guilt or there's a transactional thing there. What's what's a secondary gain by doing yeah. more of this?
1: Oh, there's so many gains. But again, we've put so much of my research and work into hearing parent voices. I want to represent that. Adolescents are really good at passive aggression as well and can be very provocative. They can present their very best to their therapist and their parents get their worst. And that's because the relationship is so significant that both parent and young person are highly reactive to each other. So I just want to put that out there. It's tough for parents, but parents can take the lead on this. By changing their tone, calming themselves down. That is the kind of basics. If a parent can be a little bit calmer, I, in the Parent Hope Project, in our courses for parents and in the intervention program with parents, one of the questions asked is, What was your emotional tone in that interaction? And parents often just think, and there are some choices of different words, and they think, Well, wow, that's something I can shift. I can take the heat out of the tone in my voice, and that can make a real difference. And that ripple effects to a young person, definitely. It's not all about hopping behavior and classic role modeling, it's about honing down the anxious tension in the environment at home. And a young person comes down and can start. relating rather than reacting yeah tell me more about the
0: relating rather than reacting because I know that adolescence is a time of cultivating identity and if your identity I mean you run the risk of your identity forming in a like kind of butting heads with your parents and that can then be what someone sees like I am
1: the bad kid the naughty kid the tough like how do we navigate that you're spot on marie that one of the traps of kids getting either stuck in dependencies like the reserved withdrawn anxious school refusing child versus getting stuck in rebellion identity of opposing a parent um is these are patterns with parents parents can begin to shift, thinking, how am I responding that is fueling this defiance? And a a young person does get a sense of identity uh, uh, out of, you can't tell me what to do, sense of dominance, and I'm in control. And there's a lot of endorphins come with that. Physiologically, it's not just an intellectual feeling of I've got a strategy over my parent is just this back and forth of reactivity. So you've got reactivity, which is dependency and helplessness, and you've got reactivity that is opposition and defiance. And toning it back to less heat, that if parent can just adjust their tone and the heat and speak from who they are rather than speak at the child, then that child or the adolescent, this, is, this has similarities at every developmental stage, I think, that, but the child or adolescent can just start to reduce the degree to which they're opposing, and the heat goes out of it, and they can find other ways of disagreeing. And won't that be helpful to them for functioning in life, to be... People who can disagree, have their differences, be able to have that experience with their parents, where their parents don't agree with everything the adolescent says to try and be their friend. They have different points of view on social issues, on what's going on in the world, but they're really interested in their young person's view and how they got there and they don't try to change them. To cultivate that kind of relating Mm -hmm. is such a gift, for the launching of the adolescent into this kind of angry, anxious world out there.
0: Yeah, I love it you, how you said that and, and two thoughts popped up. One was a reference to an old TV show where I heard the parents, I think the young person wanted to find out something about it, a sperm donor or, and the mum's like, while I don't agree with what you're doing, I will support your decision. And it just diffused that tension. And yeah. then the, the other bit you were saying around what do they, they learn in that process of connecting and communicating, it makes me think of some of the couples that I work with. And when we talk about their experience handling conflict or why they avoid conflict, it goes back to those early childhood experiences. And they're like, oh, Absolutely. we would have a fight. My parents would storm out or I would get sent to my room. And then maybe the next day it was all forgotten about. And it's like, oh, breakfast is ready. And we never, they never saw the repair. They never saw the resolve. So th- these experiences do teach trust in a way because we can disagree, we can fight or have conflict, and then we can come back together.
1: Yeah, that's great. And I can relate to that in my own family, Marie. We were a conflict-avoidant family, and I was particularly sensitive to two of my siblings who had big tempers and how I could calm everyone down. So I have to do a lot of work in my own adult life to not avoid conversations of disagreement and to learn how to tolerate the discomfort of that and learn from people and be curious. And parenting gives us a great opportunity to practice that with our adolescents and young adults. That it is so important work of awareness of our family of origin patterns and making adjustments, which always requires practice in getting out of our comfort zone. Yeah. One of the coping
0: strategies I see people do when they're uncomfortable having those tough conversations is to do like hundreds of things over here. So they're like, I'll pick you up, I'll drop you off, I'll do this, I'll do this instead of actually having that tough conversation. And when they don't get either the recognition that they want or they feel that their child's being ungrateful or asks for something else, they're crushed. They're like, but I have been working my butt off. And I have a, I'll change some of the details, but I had a a family I worked with where they couldn't understand why their teenager now, well, an adult now, was still leaving clothes on the floor. I'm like, well, what happens when he leaves the clothes on the floor? Oh, eventually I come and pick them up. Well, that's why <laughs> he keeps leaving yeah. the clothes on the floor. Yeah. And I'm like, but we don't understand. We gave him everything, a car, private school, whatever he wanted. Why isn't he helping now? And it's, I don't know. It's a common ever, question. You never taught either. You never taught him. It was never explicitly discussed, those expectations. And they would just keep fighting and still weren't actually saying, hey, this is what we'd like you to do. So they were like, but we gave him this, 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 and this, and listed off the thing and and holidays and trips and bikes. They went through like family history of what they gave, which was a lot and generous. And then saying, so because of that, why can't he
1: do X? Yeah, I hear that. I heard that from parents in my research, Marie, all the time, this theme of, but we've thrown so much love so much support at my child, how could they be struggling? And I, again, for empathy for parents, I think we're in a time in history where a lot of society fuels over-involved, over-intense, over-supported parenting. And parents are confused about the way forward. And the reason The whole new project I'm involved in is called the Parent Hope Project, is based on a finding from Dr. Murray Bowen, who developed a, a family systems approach, where he said it was an absolute turning point in his research and clinical work when he saw parents stop making a project out of their child and started making a project out of themselves, this shift of intensive parenting that can be over-controlling or over-giving. And when parents can find a way to stop that project, because yes, it does lead to them being more frustrated with their child when they don't respond. I've given so much, why are they not showing me respect? And in a way, they've been following a lot of societal messages that Parenting needs to be child-led rather than you have a job description as a loving leader for your child and messages that help parents carry that out. It, it's tough. There's so many confused messages that are fueling the helicopter parenting age that we're in. Now, what
0: about for those parents who are giving their child what they wish they had but their young person has either complete different priorities or interests. So how do they navigate that? Like, almost like a grief
1: or a longing? Oh, another great question, Marie, because it raises, there's a part of all of us as parents, and I'm a parent of adult children now, and I'm a grandparent, which is pretty fun. But there's a part of all of us that, often without knowing it, are trying to make right things that for us were not great in our own experience of childhood or trying to give our children what we thought was missing in our own families. And without realizing it, as soon as we get caught in that, we overdo it. And it's over child focus. And the child gets suffocated in that and trying to give them what we think they will appreciate rather than give them their developmental breathing space or just their breathing space to let their own capacities and uniqueness and their own way of managing life come forth. So this is the problem. Whenever a parent tries to create an outcome for a child, they're making a project out of that child. And without realizing it, there's a kind of suffocation of the child's space to grow their own capacity. Does that then, how does that,
0: like the parents I often feel then have a deep sadness or rejection when that's not like wanted, when they're like, I would have given anything to have my parent do X, Y, Z. And they're giving this to their child and their child's either indifferent or wants something else, that rejection, that hurt, then triggers different behaviors and responses. Can you talk to us about how some of those responses can further be unhelpful and, and what someone might be able to do instead?
1: Well, the first thing I'd say, Marie, is that it's never too late can make a change to how you relate to your own young person what even if they've left home it's not too late to start changing yourself and realizing that the relationship can take a whole new direction at any time in life it requires patience there are no quick fixes but there is always hope for a different way of relating and and I call it the parent hope project because When parents discover that they can make a difference, they have hope for the future, even if things are still not going great with their young person. It's just the sense of, I can make a difference, and that is hope building. Parenting is not about meeting our own needs. It's not about fulfilling unrealized dreams of our own, and I think that's very important in this whole process for parents to think, my job here is to give my child the appropriate support so that they learn to flourish in their own unique way. It's revisioning the job description.
0: I love that. That's such a beautiful place to kind of wrap things up. If someone's listening to this and it's sparked some thoughts or ideas that maybe they've been putting the spotlight too much on their child. What are some things that they can take away and and kind of do moving forward?
1: Well, first hear that you are not alone. It's a confusing landscape for parents, so there's no need to feel guilt or blame about it. In my interviews with parents, pretty well every parent who had a struggling adolescent with mental health symptoms would say, deep down I knew I played a part, but I didn't want to feel guilty and helpless. And if I could find something I could adjust, doesn't mean you're to blame as a parent, it means there's always something you can adjust that can begin a whole new pathway for the relationship you have with the child. And, and every parent wants the best for their, their children. So there is always a pathway of things a parent can do. They need to be patient. It's a big picture change. It's more like running a marathon than a sprint and just patience for the long haul. And my commitment is to cheer parents on that journey, but to give them some new, fresh ideas for how to make a project out of themselves yeah. and not their child.
0: I love that. And I think you're right. It is a, a marathon. Like there is a long-term building blocks of connection and you can't underestimate the power of a few powerful conversations. And so, you know, I've seen parents, once they hear something, they might actually go to their young person and say, I wonder if I've over, I've over watered you <laughs> or like when you get home from school, you kind of pooped. Is that why you don't want to talk? And they're like, Yeah. Okay, like sometimes some inquiry or, or I think I've been doing this. Has that been bugging you? Okay,
1: like they can be really powerful shifts. They can. Yeah. And let me throw in another one that's a favorite of mine and one I have to work on myself <laughs> is ask, never assume. Like, watch for mind reading. When we're stressed and anxious, we mind read exaggerated messages and, and, and they tend to be insidious. And so rather than guess what your adolescent is thinking and feeling, to just ask. Just simple, calm, not interrogating, just a loving curiosity. Lovely. And
0: if folks want to hear a bit more about what you do, you've got your podcast and mm-hmm. what are some of the resources available through your website?
1: So there are Logs and podcasts that parents can access on the Parent hub Project website. There are some courses that parents can do at home online for a four-part course if they want to. And then for professionals listening, there's a, a lot of resources so that you can lend a hand to parents in making a project out of themselves. In clinical work with a manualized intervention or in community in running groups and parent courses. Amazing. And I'll put some notes to all of those in the show notes.
0: Thanks so much, Jenny. I could we could keep talking forever. This is like both yeah, our sweet spots. <laughs> a pleasure.
1: Yeah. I love hearing the way you word things so clearly, Marie. So it's been great to chat again. Thanks, Jenny.
0: Thank you for listening. To keep the conversation going, head on over to Instagram or LinkedIn and follow me. If you'd like to keep updated with episodes and other interesting things happening in mental health, join my weekly This Complex Life newsletter, where I'll share tools, tips and insights. There's a link in the show notes. Got a question you want answered? Shoot me an email or a DM. I'd love to hear from you. And if you enjoy the show, I'd really appreciate it if you could leave a rating and a review. It helps other people find the podcast.